0: Welcome to the Dovetail Podcast with Karen and Courtney. This is a place where justice, faith, and culture come together. I'm Karen.
1: And I'm Courtney.
0: Great. So Courtney, what have you been up to? How are things going?
1: Things are uneventful in a good way, I would say. Um, after sort of coming down from handing my book and everything in, I've been concentrating on doing some other freelance writing stuff, which is nice. It's nice that I'm having time to kind of get back to some of the ideas that I had socked away in folders for a while and to just sort of write some things just for myself without deadlines and stuff like that so that's what I've been trying to do especially because I'm trying to keep myself from going completely bananas over watching the Trump administration obsessively (laughs) I feel like just every day I read everything I talk to my husband and we have our daily oh my god we can't believe this is happening briefing with each other (laughs) So that's really it for me, just watching the news way too much. How about you?
0: Um, well, there's been a combination of things. I have been watching the news, although I stopped listening in the morning to NPR because I realized it just made me a little too anxious. Again, listening to all the just the total disorder and lack of coherence of policy and hearing about Trump's tweets and... I just couldn 't take it, so so i have taken a little break from that, just for my own self care but um, but i 've been involved in a few things, like i 've been going to some marches for um, for immigrants in particular um, i 've also um, I was worried I was having a lot of anxiety about whether or not I was going to be able to keep my job since most of the work of my organization is in refugee resettlement and I mean I have a resolution to that. It's not the one that I hoped for, but I did get laid off this week. And so that was hard and and disappointing and and it's difficult for me, but I and I don't want to minimize that. It is really hard to lose your job, but I think about like the refugees sitting in camps, you know, who had visas, who had a way finally to start over and make their lives and I think that makes me just more sad and more anxious you know for their situation I'll survive and I'll be okay but so I've been doing some writing to sort of process a lot of those feelings and writing is great it's just really been healing and good so yeah that's me not like the best month I've ever had
1: yeah that's not not great news I was really sorry to hear that and I think that it's like you mentioned, the refugees and the people that, you know, had done everything right to try to move forward with their lives. And there's just so many real effects from this administration. You know, the fact that now those vulnerable people are in jeopardy. The they're people like you who are there to help are, you know, having trouble with jobs and things like that. So it's just, it's a real disappointing situation that we're dealing with this climate. But I'm sorry to hear that you lost your job i know that has to really be kind of unsettling but i did i loved the piece that you wrote recently the one um about being an enneagram eight what was the uh website that that was on again where was that published
0: the mudroom blog
1: okay yeah i loved that
0: (laughs) thanks that was good good processing about identity because i think it is a it's a hard thing all around but it's especially hard if you don't fit certain ideals within the church, which Enneagram eights don't. We should do a podcast on the Enneagram sometime.
1: (laughs) We should. I was just going to back up and say, you know, the, um, the article that Karen wrote was about being an Enneagram eight and a Christian woman. And if you don't know the Enneagram in the last couple of years, it's, in my mind, kind of replaced the Myers Briggs obsession with, um, especially with progressive Christians. I don't know why we're so into the Enneagram, but it's a, a sort of a personality and demeanor uh, analysis system. And Enneagram eights, I guess, are not what Karen would feel it would be the uh, traditional meek and mild Christian woman. What <laughs> can you? What is an Enneagram eight like?
0: So an Enneagram eight. Uh they call the challenger it's the need to be against and according to several of the books written about the Enneagram so Enneagram 8 men do really well in the world because they have all the qualities that men are you know stereotypically respected for but Enneagram women are just seen as you know pushy and you know too domineering and too loud and so so I process some of my (laughs) 'Cause you know, in the in the church that I came to grow in the faith, which was the evangelical church that was conservative, the I a picture of women that was promoted was always your meek and mild, submissive, sweet, you know, kind of woman. And I was never never able to fit that. So it was really good to process that and yeah, on the Mudroom blog this month we're covering Uh, personality Enneagram. So it's been really interesting to see the different articles coming through about it. (laughs) It's a community blog. Yeah, it's a community blog. So
1: cool. So yeah, everyone be sure to check that one out the mudroom blog. I really liked Karen's piece. And I guess there's other Enneagram stuff. So I will definitely go read that. Um, I think I'm a four because I'm a flake. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know what the fours tagline is. But I know just the individualist the four yeah being a, a writer and someone who has like internal worlds and just a big butterfly chaser that's that seems like me to a team <laughs> the individuals. yeah, or the flake yeah no
0: we need the fours we need the artists and writers and people who feel deeply so that's you
1: that's right we need we need everyone we need all of our spiritual gifts to come together right <laughs> So we're halfway through February, which is Black History Month. And it got off to um, kind of a true Trumpian start when he had his uh, Black History Month breakfast and made some of his ridiculous off-the-cuff remarks about uh, how we're seeing more and more about Frederick Frederick Douglass or... (laughs) Omarosa or whatever it was he was talking about but it's black history month and so (laughs) this time around um Karen and I wanted to talk about that a little bit and also talk about Obama and the fact that he's moved on and seems to be having an awesome time on his social media pictures and I am just too happy for him and Michelle so we wanted to look back over his legacy and you know kind of do a thanks thanks Obama podcast for today
0: That's right. We miss him so much. I'm just thinking back to that, um, the White House correspondence dinner, you know, where he said, now, Republicans, with the options, do you have, how you like me now? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yep, pretty much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I do think I do think Black History Month is important and I was really disheartened that Martin Luther King holiday weekend got off to Trump attacking um, Congressman John Lewis. It was so upsetting because, as you know, John Lewis marched with Dr. King. He's a civil rights hero. He was beaten and injured in the Selma Bridge March and that to me was really just the worst thing you could do especially for that weekend is just dishonor this particular man so I think I think it's important though to talk about why we have Black History Month what do you think about that like why is Black History Month important
1: I think that Black History Month is important just because there's still just been so much missing of our narrative within the larger narrative and i just think that taking time to be sure that as a society um, and school curriculum and things like that that um we take the time to recognize black achievements and also to just remind the country i think that this is our past um this is really everyone's american history and that it's something that we shouldn't forget I don't know, how about you? What is what is your take on Black History Month?
0: Very similar. I think that it's important to value everyone's contributions and because in our country, it's always been white Americans who told the story of the country and so many things have been left out. You know, I was scrolling through Twitter and reading at the time that hidden figures came out and how many Black women were saying, why didn't we ever learn about these amazing contributions of Black women? That there was a group of computers, of women called computers, literally people who compute, that worked in NASA and helped to make the space program possible. And I think it's exactly for, to answer questions like that, that we need Black History Month. We need to celebrate the achievements Of black people who have been so marginalized and oppressed in our country and then highlight them just like we highlight the ones of white people in this country
1: right right and it's funny growing up a black kid in mostly white schools um it's really kind of sad both martin luther king day and black history month were things that i sort of dreaded in a strange way um just because you know it was uncomfortable being the only one and this the way that the teachers approached it and talked about race wasn't always the most comfortable and it was the whole you know all of the heads in the classroom keep turning and kind of looking at me to see what I'm thinking or it was just always super uncomfortable in the way that it was handled i'm hoping that that's not uh the experience for my kid and for kids today but um i think the fact that it felt that way so foreign to talk about race in a classroom proves why we still need Black History Month because I think that as American people, we're just not, we're still not great at talking about race. We really are.
0: We're not. Yeah, we're still really bad. You know, I always did feel bad that everyone would look to the Black students in the class to speak for all of their people as if they have that capacity. But it it does seem like that happened quite a lot in the classes that I was in too.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just... It's weird, it's tough and then also when it comes to the church, um, you know I've also I've always gone to pretty progressive churches as an adult and I really appreciate the way that they recognize uh, Black History Month and Martin Luther King Day. I mean I mentioned that just because it's close to to February. Um, but it's the same thing that I would be in these all-white churches where I'm one of the only people of color and we're singing some spiritual or, you know, we shall overcome. And it just feels so strange to be doing it in these really unintegrated spaces. Um, and I, it just, it shows that one month during the year is not enough to move us forward in terms of race because it's just still so touchy and so uncomfortable. And the fact that our spaces are still pretty segregated, you know, it just makes it it is shows that it's necessary. I guess we need to keep pushing through it and doing better and trying to make people learn and connect during a month like this.
0: You know, I never thought of that, of what you're saying, of be- sitting in predominantly white spaces and watching people saying things like we shall overcome and not seeing enough representation in that space. I never considered how that how that might be.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's just strange. And it's... um. I think it comes down to authenticity I've talked with people about you know trying to make the church more multicultural and to kind of be more pluralistic in the types of music and things that, that we do and I think that if it's something that can happen organically and authentically then it's great but if it's something that's forced even with good intentions that's where it can be you know kind of uncomfortable because it's inauthentic and then again just being a minority in those spaces it just still makes it makes it weird and would I rather a church do that than ignore it and say that we're all the same like absolutely you know so I don't want to make people feel like they're doing something wrong by mentioning diversity and by mentioning Black History Month but just in my experience the way that it feels we still have a long way to go but I do I do applaud people's efforts.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's better than ignoring it, which is what used to happen. It was supposed to be a way to start that conversation, but unfortunately, it's turned into just this kind of tokenism. And that's not helpful. And, you know, one of the more annoying things to me about Black History Month is that there's always the person who asks, when's White History Month? Why don't we have White History Month? If we had White History Month, I bet everybody would go crazy. And It's just so frustrating for me that
1: anyone would even ask that question and as, a, as a serious question. Yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating. And, you know, the answer is that every month is White History Month in this country. <laughs> That's right. If you go into any sort of history or social studies, class through the rest of the year, I think that white people will be plenty represented. Um, yeah, and I was talking with a family member about people who ask questions like that. Like, what where's White History Month? They have, they work for a big corporation, and they're sort of an internal uh, social networking type platform they have. And every time, they said every time that it's something like Black History Month, or they want to talk about LGBTQ issues in the workplace... Someone responds, you know, when is straight month or when straight white man month and things like that. And my my relative said, I can't believe that they say these things on this job platform so openly and they're not embarrassed <laughs> to ask these questions. Really. And so it is it is really still disturbing. And I think that, you know, when you put in like Trump's comments, like you said at the beginning about uh, John Lewis and Black History Month, it's all just still We have a long, long way to go, I would say.
0: We do. And I think that there's a failure of some white people who don't recognize that there are many white people in this country. Like, for example, all the people who voted for Trump and who decided that racism was not a deal breaker, who really devalue brown lives, black lives. They don't see the humanity in their darker brothers and sisters. And that's I mean it's not only terrible for our society, it's terrible for them too. They lose their own humanity when they can't see it in another or they make another justify, you know, their existence or defend why they're human. So, I think Black History Month, even though the way that it's done has so many problems, is important even just for that. Like, let's focus on finding out who Frederick Douglass really is, for example, and who, by the way, Trump wouldn't really like if he knew him because Frederick Douglass did not put up with bullies in any way.
1: And I find that with some of these people who want to um, sweep race under the rug or act like everything is okay, the civil rights activists and black heroes that have passed away are often their favorites because they're not here to (laughs) get in their face and bug them when they make it to the history book they become mythical and peaceful like i love you know how everyone wants to invoke martin luther king all the time with you know he would have he would have thought what i thought he would have said what i said and he wouldn't have wanted all of this division and if you know anything about dr king he was not you know, some passive conservative person who wasn't pushing for change. And so it's just, Uh, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was an Enneagram 8 and he was an agitator and he pushed all kinds of buttons, so much so that at the time of his death, his popularity was at an all-time low.
1: Well, yeah, that's probably had something to do with why he got killed.
0: Yeah, yeah, but the way that... Yeah, that people have turned him into this teddy bear who had dreams. I remember <laughs> Stephen Colbert, uh, when he still had his show, was talking about Martin Luther King Day. And he said, don't forget to go to bed early so that Dr. King can come to you in the middle of the night and sprinkle you with dreams. And <laughs> and he was really mocking the what Martin Luther King's celebration has turned into. He's not a real person and... This is why I think the movie Selma was a very important film, not only because it had a black creator and director, but because it humanized him, you saw his temper, you saw his infidelities, you saw his disagreement with other black leaders, and it's important for us to recognize he was a person with flaws and also was a redeemed person who loved justice and who stood up for the oppressed he didn't have to he could have gone his own way and lived a comfortable life as an educated black man of his time so he is a hero but he's also a human being you know and we need a complete picture of who he is
1: absolutely and I think that that concept of the mystical black man or like the magical negro I've heard it put like that Totally fits with what Colbert was joking about, or coming to sprinkle you with dreams, and there's a little bit of that. Not to get too off topic, but um, with Beyonce recently at the Grammys and how she kind of had that very goddess, uh, supernatural performance, and then people were saying things like, "Oh, like she's just this, this mother goddess. I want her to be my mommy." And I've seen certain writers push back and say, "No, don't make her into your kind of mystical." mystical mammy figure and so that's something i think that we also need to be very cognizant of to to think of people and black people and their contributions as human as real that it's not that that's not the stuff of legends and i think that that's something that something like like hidden figures and like Salma that learning about the real people that had jobs and what they did and had families is just so crucial
0: i think it's a good transition for us to talk about our favorite black heroes who are your favorite
1: well i was giving it some thought the first person that actually popped into my head was langston hughes because i just really think that as a writer you know the fact that he was able to put what he was experiencing during his time period into words um, in a way that's just really endured is just really special and just the whole harlem renaissance for me um it's just a time period that i just really love and romanticized to a certain extent because there were all of these intelligent people who were living together and working together and producing things that I didn't learn about until much later in life so I do really appreciate all of those thinkers. Um, Lately I also really appreciate Nina Simone um, as a singer and as a writer of protest songs because you know something like her song Mississippi goddamn to mm-hmm. to be so so blunt and so raw about what was going on um which it's like you know when you really think about it it's like how how else should you be when it comes to something like lynchings and jim crow and everything that the country was experiencing then and is still experiencing now and then also For Nina Simone, I know we talked about this in another episode, but just being a dark-skinned woman who had very black features, black hair texture, um, or head wraps and things like that, I just have so much respect for her and I think that she could have and should have even been more influential if the world was ready to accept someone who looked like her and who sounded like her. Um... And then I also, I really appreciate Oprah and I know that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about her, but again, I look at her, her background. She's about the same age as my mom, um, came from poverty, came from a history of abuse. And I think that again, to, to look the way she looks as an unambiguous black woman and to do what she's done is really just tremendous. And I do think that she really is a philanthropist and, you know, in later years has gotten a little bit more political. And so I really do still um, look up to her. And I mean, I could go on and on, but who are who are some of your favorites? Who are standouts for you?
0: Well, like you, I really do like Oprah. And I know people make fun of her spirituality and they think she's a little bit overexposed, I guess. But I really appreciate the way that she has found success, but she has also made the careers of many people. She has given success away to others. You know, you think of Dr. Oz and Nate Berkus and Dr. Phil, all these people came to our attention through Oprah and she helped to launch them. And, you know, even that, I remember she used to on her show, the Harpo hookup, and she would connect people with um, others in whatever it was, the industry they wanted to go into so that they could find out about it and network and break in. And so... I really do appreciate her, I think she doesn't get as much credit as she deserves. And you know, she's herself, she hasn't, she started off like starving herself, you know, after a while when she became a national public figure, but then she's come to a place of accepting her body and that she's not going to be, you know, some kind of stick figure but has gotten to this healthy weight and healthy place through exercise and trying to eat well. And I really respect that. I'm sure there is so much pressure on people in her industry to look a certain way. You know, the what I call the lollipop, the giant round head and the stick body. And so I really do appreciate that about her. Um, but some of my favorites, I really, I was an English major and... You know, I think my favorite novel of all time is Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. And she is she is one of my favorite black heroes. She's not a very public person, so you don't see her really in, doing a lot of interviews. She does lectures at universities, but she started, you know, she worked as an editor and started writing on the side and was a mother of young children and she talks about working you know really really early in the morning just because she had young children that she needed to take care of and i just so respect that i'm so impressed by people who have those level of responsibilities and make space to write and and her novels just really speak about the black experience too um in ways that are new in ways that are I mean it's very experimental literature it's artistic it's beautiful writing it's just really well done and I suggested Song of Solomon for a book club that I did because I just think it's superb I think it's the most perfect novel I've ever read and I enjoy rereading it every year because of that So she is one of my favorites for sure. And I think also my sister and I recently went to the Baltimore Museum of African-American History. And I was introduced to someone I had never heard of. So it's all the famous uh, Marylanders, basically, who are um, black figures that were important. And one of the people I met was Benjamin Banneker. And I had heard that name, but I never knew anything about him. And he was, you know, a scientist, he wrote almanacs, a mathematician. He was a brilliant person. And one of the things that most impressed me is he had read documents written by Thomas Jefferson and they were contemporary. So they were alive at the same time where Jefferson had basically said that he felt the Negro was intellectually inferior and incapable of learning. And Banneker sent him his work and wrote him a letter and asked him to reconsider, basically. And it was very bold. And Jefferson wrote him back and said, you know, I want you to be right. I hope you're right. And what you've produced is really good. So he's someone I want to learn more about because I'm so impressed. And he was right here. Apparently, there is a house here in Maryland that I can go visit. Uh, where there are some of his artifacts and um, yeah, his whole life he spent experimenting and writing. So I think those are the the people that come to mind. Of course, there are always like the Langston Hughes, uh, wonderful poet of the Harlem Renaissance. There is in here in D.C. area, there's a there's this kind of coffee shop bookstore called Busboys and Poets. And I used to wonder why it was called that. And when I finally went, I found out that it's named after Langston Hughes because he was a busboy and a poet. And the way that he came to fame is that he left a poem. There was a, a famous publisher named Vasha Lindsay, who's also a poet, who used to frequent the place where Langston Hughes worked as a busboy. And so one day Langston Hughes left him a poem with his check. And Lindsay published it and said, I have met langston hughes the busboy poet you know and so (laughs) so yeah so they really honor um black art in this um coffee house uh bookstore and i think those are some of my favorite people that come to mind
1: right and when i was talking um i of course i wanted to include both barack and michelle Obama, because now I think that, you know, anyone would be remiss to not put them on their list of black heroes. And so that kind of brings us to our Thanks, Obama segment, which I am really excited about. Um, I love the fact that he got to give us eight years and really broke that ceiling of being the first black president. It's something that I honestly was not ever sure that I would see In my lifetime and i used to speculate that if we did get a black president that i thought it would be probably someone who was a conservative republican maybe that would be the only way that someone could break that barrier but i just remember when obama came along when he came onto the scene as this young senator with this amazing wife and these two cute little girls to me it was just um it was like camelot you know before obama i always really loved the Kennedys and Jackie Kennedy and sort of the idea of that American family. And then, you know, here came the Obamas to give us this new 21st century black Camelot. So, you know, just Obama, both Barack and Michelle Obama um, really did change black America.
0: They really did. I, you know, when Barack Obama first ran for president, I was still... Hillary supporter, because she ran against him, if you remember back in 08. But I remember when he was inaugurated, I just felt so much joy. I felt so full. Honestly, I did not know as much about him as I should have at that point. But it was so wonderful to see a dark-skinned person taking the oath of office and moving into the White House. It was just the powerful moment for our country.
1: Yeah, and I think for those of us who got to experience that and who were younger adults during that time, and especially people who were children during this administration, I think that it was just such a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime experience to have seen that, to have seen his first inauguration. Um, I was a new mom. I had a baby. And I remember showing her the Obamas on TV and I would always say to her I want you to know that you saw this that you lived through this and you won't remember it but you saw it and I'm gonna remember it for you and so just for me as a younger adult and as a new parent it just was just such a gift
0: for sure and I think Michelle too was uh she was an educated woman who was brilliant, who was well-spoken, who was everything you really wanted to see in someone like that, and who was not afraid to talk about race. You know, she did several um, of graduation speeches at universities where she would talk about it. You know, she would bring it onto the table. And I think that's what I appreciate about them. I feel like they weren't afraid to be black. And, you know, I, when Ben Carson was running for president this round. I remember seeing a picture that is that hangs in his house and it's a picture of him and Jesus. And, you know, it's someone's idea of Jesus. But the Jesus is like white, like blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus putting his arm around Ben Carson. And to me, that was just so disappointing and so hard to see. But I love the way that the Obamas embraced being black. They didn't distance themselves from it or apologize for it, you know? And there's pressure to do that, I'm sure. So I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. And I think for Michelle, um, it was so meaningful to me to see, again, this darker-skinned Black woman who was just unapologetically and unambiguously Black. Like, I know um, there's one, one writer, J, he always calls her... Michelle Levon Robinson from the south side of Chicago and the way that she emphasizes that it's so meaningful that she just is this black woman that is so similar to so many of us black women in in this country and she's just so intelligent and such a treasure and you know I think just really held that office that position with a whole lot of grace because she got a lot of the angry black woman stuff when she first showed up. Yes. Um, you know, people have harped on her appearance. Even things like her, you know, showing off her arms became an issue. It's like they wanted to police ah. her, police her body. Ah. Oh goodness. What is that? It's my dog. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, she makes this sound where she honks like a goose. It's like, oh my goodness. I'm like, you need. <laughs> I need you to be quiet for like just a couple of minutes. <laughs> But anyway, um, Michelle is just, I just love her so much. And I just wish them all the best as they move forward. And I want them to enjoy every single bit of freedom that they have now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like Michelle was unfairly targeted in a lot of ways. When you consider that there are naked pictures of Melania Trump that exist, the idea of making fun of Michelle bearing her arms is just... Appalling Um, Especially because there was nothing inappropriate about the way that she dressed or conducted herself in that office
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I think that's a really good um, intersectional Feminism issue that I've seen with comparisons between Melania and Michelle Obama Where I I've seen a lot of white feminists very much jump to Melania's defense and say, you know, you shouldn't slut shame her That was her job. That's off-limits and I think that a lot of people of color are first responses, but look at, the, look at the comparison between what they will accept from her as behavior and what they would accept from Michelle, who, you know, did everything right and, you know, had all of the grace and poise that people, you know, sort of expect or desire from women. And it's just the hypocrisy that we can't get past. And so I think to act like, You know, and I've seen some white women say, oh, no, like this topic is just it should be off the table. And I'm just like, no, I can't I can't see that because it's just too telling. And it shows us too much about the juxtaposition between white womanhood and black womanhood in this country right now.
0: Right. I agree. And. You know, there is I feel like to focus, to compare Melania and Michelle at all, (laughs) is just like apples and orangutans I mean it's not even apples and oranges here you have like a Harvard educated attorney versus a woman who worked in the entertainment industry you know she was a model and there's just no to me there's really no point of comparison uh, between the two and it just the whole idea of bringing it up even just really bothers me because Michelle um, is her own person and she has a record she was first lady for eight years and there was work that she accomplished during that time. And so Melania is just starting out and she can create her own legacy. If she's going to be first lady, it sounds like it's going to be Ivanka. But if she <laughs> if she's going to do that, she needs to do that on her own. And they need to leave the Obamas separate from that, you know, conversation. I just don't I don't understand that. But you're right. I think it's it's interesting that people that have come up to defend uh, Melania, who kind of just sat back when Michelle was being called an angry black woman. I remember even when um, they were introducing Barack Obama's family during his candidacy in 08, there was a headline that I read that said, they was introducing his family to us that said, Obama's baby mama. And I remember thinking she's not his baby mama. She is his wife the mother of his daughters, how dare you, you know, how?
1: Yeah, no, I remember that. And that was really appalling. And I think that, again, that points to, you know, wherever these white feminists, when people were saying things like that, like just being ridiculous and stereotypical about her specifically black womanhood, to call her a baby mama, that's just so disparaging in the way that it was meant And... Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just a lot. And that's why, again, I'm just glad that they've gotten to create their legacy and I'm proud of their legacy, um, and move on. But something you said earlier, you were saying that they were, um, you know, unapologetically black and they just were out there and presenting themselves as black. And I agree with that, but I know that there are some, um, I would say millennial black voters who really feel that they were let down by obama that he didn't do enough for black people um i know that at least one of the the founders of black lives matter um and unfortunately i can't remember her name right now but she had an interview recently and said that she hoped that obama did some of the things for black people now that he was out of office that he failed to do for us while he was in office and it's just tough for me when I hear black people being hard on Obama and, you know, it's something that maybe I should deal with my own issues of thinking, you know, that he's, you know, beyond, uh criticism. Cause I, I and I don't think that because he made mistakes just like every other politician and leader has made mistakes. But I'm often just confused when I hear black people say he didn't do enough for black people. And because I just don't really know what it was that they expected or wanted him to do. Um, because he was everyone's president. This is, it's an executive position. And I think that he did speak on race issues to the best of his ability. Um, I don't know, like, have you heard people say that sort of stuff? What's your opinion on that on kind of how he governed and his legacy in terms of his fellow black people?
0: Yeah, I have heard people say that. And I think similar to what you do, that I think there was an unrealistic expectation set upon him. Because you're right, he was everybody's president. He wasn't just the president of black Americans. And not only that, but they failed to recognize that he had to deal not just with Congress, but with a lot of racism himself. You know, I don't know if you remember, but there was this congressman who circulated a picture after Obama was inaugurated of like the white house easter egg roll and it was the white house lawn covered in watermelons Um, he was as i remember the first president who was just openly disrespected where that the one congressman stood up and and said you lie to him and pointed his finger at him so you know I, i remember that being a place for me of sort of losing my innocence about the office of the presidency, I thought it would be respected no matter who was in that place. But it seemed like there was a different standard for Obama with his colleagues, the colleagues that he needed to work with to push through legislation. And he just wasn't able to do as much as I believe he wanted to do. And I don't know, you know, many of the things that he did really benefited people who are not wealthy. So for example, he Obamacare. I mean, that really benefits. I, I was on Obamacare when I was unemployed. It was tremendously helpful to have coverage that was affordable. When I was, I was really grateful to have it. You know, I, it was one of my thanks Obama sort of moments. And so I don't know. I, I'm conflicted over that. I think people have a right. To their feelings, but I often wonder if their expectations were just too high and or if they don't understand the obstacles that he had to deal with, the system he had to work in. So I mean he could have he could have governed Trump style and just started writing executive actions that would be overturned left and right. He's not that kind of man.
1: Right, exactly. I think that he took the job seriously and then he tried to do the job in in the right way. And I think again it does go to expectations and I think sometimes a misunderstanding about who a president is and what his or her job is, you know, what is it that they can actually do. I think people sometimes forget that a president is not a king, you know, not like, you know, Trump is acting right now with his signing executive orders left and right, just with the things that he wants, that a president is supposed to work with the lawmaking body and try to get through legislation. And like you said, he was just blocked and got resistance at every step of the way and i think that so many um so many young black people and i guess you know probably other people of color our parents teach us you know that we have to be 110 percent that we have to be above and beyond to even you know get what we deserve and i think that that was the case for president obama in many ways that you know he was obviously qualified to the nth degree and i think that he absolutely did his best but no matter what they were going to make it harder for him like you said with the racism that he experienced and so he as a black american person you know we all like to talk about the racism that we've experienced and how it's affected us you know he was dealing with that too on this very grand large scale for the first time and he didn't have anyone to look to honestly um to see how they went through it before him so he had to blaze that trail. And so I think to be hard on him that he didn't do it well enough as a Black man, for me, is just really unfair.
0: Absolutely. I agree. And I also feel like there's a sense that people had that um, now that we had a Black president, racism was over. We didn't need to deal with race anymore. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, like me and some of my family members said that we think that everyday race relations between everyday folks got worse in some ways when Obama got elected because I feel that people who wanted to be racist felt they could fall back on, well, we have a black president, therefore I can say whatever I want now. There is no racism.
0: You know, for me, the idea of Barack Obama becoming president, meaning that there was no racism left in the world, I just couldn't fathom how anyone could think that. I mean, just living in the world and looking around. I think it was an important milestone, but, you know, um, James Baldwin noted, you know, that considering how long Black Americans have been in this country, that should have happened long, long ago, you know. Right. So, so the very idea that it was the end, I think it was important, and I think that it was a step that um, is in the right direction but given the backlash that he experienced I know you talked a little bit about that um, and many people even see the election of Trump as um, a consequence of people people's reaction against Obama or their you know white fragility their inability to deal with race or talk about it or admit any kind of fault or privilege and so Yeah, I just don't understand. I'm very grateful for Barack Obama. I don't think he was perfect. You know, I'm disappointed by particularly the immigration reform. He deported a lot of people, but I also know that he did it because he wanted to build trust with Republicans to show them that he was serious and he was willing to make concessions in their direction and what was important to them. And unfortunately, it backfired and he didn't have a plan B for that, and then his term you know, his second term ran out. So even then, his deportations had nothing to do with xenophobia. It had nothing to do with fear and hatred of other people or using that to garner support uh, from the populace. So, yeah, people have brought that up recently, how, you know, how much Barack Obama deported people. But I think the situation was completely different.
1: So... Exactly. And I agree with you that I think that some of the things he did, um, so it's just sort of a what comes next situation. So I'm, you know, kind of eager to wait and watch and see where we go from here because I think that Obama's eight years, uh, like you said, really put us in this place where now we're dealing with this reactionary administration and situation. So in any case, he, his legacy obviously had a big, big imprint on America and, You know, I am also just very grateful to him. I'm grateful for the eight years. I'm grateful that he got the two terms. And, um, yeah, so thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. We miss you. We do. (laughs) But we're glad you're
0: in a better place. I I just made it sound (laughs) like he died, but no. (laughs) I just mean out of office.
1: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) What are you up to? Or What have you been doing in your spare time? Are you reading or watching anything interesting?
0: Well... Because of Black History Month, I really made an effort to connect with Black art this month. And so recently I watched the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. It's a documentary about James Baldwin. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. I have not. It is excellent. It is so well done. I don't think I knew a lot about James Baldwin, but this really inspired me. And it's based on notes he left for a book about um, the deaths of Medgar Evers, Malcolm X and Dr. King. And he was friends with them. And when they died, he he died after all of them. It really affected him deeply. And so he began this book that he never finished. And so they made this documentary about his thinking and his ideas. Really well done. And yeah, it's very shocking, though. He does not mince words and he does not try to make anyone feel better especially not white people you know people who are who have held up you know bobby kennedy and jfk as heroes might be a little shocked by the way that baldwin talks about them (laughs) and his disappointments with them uh so it's it's excellent and i highly recommend it to you
1: what's it called what's it
0: called tell me the title one more time Called I Am Not Your Negro.
1: Okay, I will definitely look for that. I think James Baldwin was so right in his time and then also so ahead of his time. I think that his voice is coming up um, more and more lately. I sound like Trump. We're talking more and more lately about James Baldwin, <laughs> <laughs> but at least I do know that he's dead. But I think yeah. that, you know, a lot of his words are really prophetic. And so that's something I will definitely take a look at. Um, I haven't been watching anything too interesting lately i did see that the people vs. oj simpson is now available on netflix and i heard just really good interesting things about that and i remember that trial just as a child so i don't remember it probably as clearly as people who were adults do but i want to sit down and sort of binge on that and see how they depicted it because it just looks fascinating to me so i'm gonna pick that one up <clears throat> and then i've also been doing a lot of reading i'm researching New stuff to write, and I'm working on this idea of this turn-of-the-century Black charismatic preacher called Father Divine, who ran this sort of post-racial, utopian, communal, religious group, um, where he called himself God, and they they thought that he was God, and they have very strict moral codes, like no sex and no drinking, but then at the same time, there were always allegations that he had... um, sexual relationships with the women in his group and it's just this really kind of wild story that I didn't know I think a lot of people don't know it so I'm just fascinated by this figure right now Father Divine do you know have you heard of him before
0: I haven't
1: it does sound very interesting yeah so stay tuned uh, for more about Father Divine as I I, as I read all of this it's it's wild so I'm, I'm really hoping that I come up with something good to write about
0: yeah you know i was really fascinated when i w- i took uh biblical preaching in seminary and we talked about black preaching and the way the black church had historically been this refuge for the black community and a place to be free and be respected you know the preacher was respected and honored and so i became really fascinated to learn more about the black church and the way that it is evolved it's still different you know from the white church as it should be <laughs> uh-huh. so yeah very interesting wow yeah did you Did you ever watch hidden figures did you
1: i did we all went to uh see hidden figures in the theater and i just loved it i thought that it was so well done and so uplifting but still dealt with you know the issues of the time um, I think, really poignantly. And I thought all of the performances were great. I especially, I really liked Janelle Monae's performance. I thought that she was just delightful, but I, I loved it.
0: Yes, I agree. I thought it was so good. And I, you know, one of the things that I read about it that I didn't know. So if you haven't seen it, this will not spoil the film for you. But there's a scene in which the main character, Katherine Johnson, um, is moved up into this group away from the black computers. And she, whenever she has to use the restroom, she has to walk like half a mile across this large campus to use it. And it's a very compelling scene, but I found out that it's not true at all, that actually Katherine Johnson refused to do that. And she just used the women's restroom in her building, that that actually never happened. And I, love the true story of that and to me one of the disappointing things is what it was used the story that they put in the film where kevin costner is the one who decides there's no more colored restrooms and white restrooms it makes him out to be this hero when in reality katherine johnson was her own hero right (laughs) so yeah but excellent film even with some of the historical changes that were made and yeah, a very inspiring story, and yeah, an important part of Black history that we should all know about.
1: And I'm so pleased that it did well at the box office.
0: And also, it's done done well in terms of Oscar nominations for actors, for writing, directing. So, yeah, it's, I'm excited that it's been given the recognition it deserved. Great. Well, this has been a great discussion about Black History Month, Courtney. It
1: has. I'm glad that we got to touch base on this and share our thoughts on black history month and obama and we would like to know what you think so go ahead and reach out to us you can find me on twitter at court rhapsody you can find me at underscore karen j gonzalez and until then thank you so much for listening this has been the dovetail podcast where faith culture and social justice come together and we will see you next time see you next time